Oh, another another notable thing that happened on November 4th. New World players discovered a glitch that allowed them to unban themselves. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's so funny. Oh, that's such a that's such a like ton of work for the devs then because then they got to go back through everyone who was banned and like ban them all again. Oh, or I guess maybe it wouldn't be that big a deal because for of all the people who got banned, there probably aren't that many who would go back and make the effort to unban themselves. They probably just like make a different account or do an IP spoof or something so they could get back in the game. Although it is New World, and that's not really like a dig at New World. I just I found that I played that game quite a lot for a very short period of time and then kind of felt like it fell off very quickly after it's I mean it's it's an MMO like anything else it's very very grindy although I did find the combat to be a little bit more engaging than other games I've played especially MMOs I heard I heard that you have to pay taxes in that game but the taxes are used to keep the game's economy healthy. <laughs> I never got to like the end game where you have like property and stuff. So I can't personally speak to that, but that is an interesting concept, I guess. It's like, why does, why does a digital game need a, need an economy buffer when like the devs could just be like, yes, it totally boosted the economy when they're just, adjusting things on the back end anyway guild, guild wars every saturday had a patch to inject money into the economy because the economy would crash every single week it was it was wild those are wild days it's it's <laughs> something i wonder if like statisticians have ever observed an economy in an mmo to try to compare it or you know possibly predict th- the way that things might go in uh real life similarly to the fun fact that Ryan was talking about last week where the blood plague in WoW was uh, observed by uh, epidemiologists uh, to see how humanity might respond to such a uh, such an event. And they thought the thing that, that Ryan didn't mention last week is that they thought there was no way that people would purposely go and spread a virus that threatened to kill everybody that it came in contact with. And then that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Like you really cannot anticipate, but also you can be sure that if something like that happens in a video game as an analog for real life, the same things will happen. I mean, pretty well. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, what, what game was it? I think it was guild wars. It was no right after Guild Wars. So like after Guild Wars economy kept crashing and crashing and crashing. I remember they uh, I went back to RuneScape at some point and RuneScape had did not have the grand exchange back when I played. But when I had returned it, it did exist. And I was like, that's kind of weird. But then I realized that at least I believe it's there for this reason. The 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 exchange is there because it sets a price range for things. So in my opinion, it keeps the prices up. Whereas in Guild Wars, Black Die was like a really good indicator of the economy doing well. And so if it was at 10K, the economy is doing good. Like it's just at good. If it goes up, it's better. If it goes down, it's worse. And I'd never seen it go down. I've only ever seen it go up. But it was like a legitimate economy where it was like fine forever. And then just shot up like a rocket and then just boof. And then it came crashing down. And every week it would just come 
tumbling down. <laughs> Player driven economies is pretty is is pretty fascinating, actually. I, I kind of wish I was a little bit more into statistics that I would want to spend the time and effort like researching that kind of stuff. Because I feel like if you were writing, like if you were doing some sort of, I don't know, like masters in statistics or something like that, like you could you could write a what is it like a dissertation specifically on uh, the observation and comparisons between player driven economies and MMOs to real life country economies. I think that could be a really interesting read. It would be, especially in like an MMO or like a Europa. I don't really know how, how like accurate the Europa economy system is. I'd imagine it's pretty accurate. It'd be super cool to like see, see like games that are meant to be all about economy be like one to one or like used as a simulation. Be like, hey, I wonder what's going to happen. Like if we. Let's see if we if we do this. Let's see what's going to happen. Or what's, what's the chances of this happening? Run 10 games or run 100 games or whatever and see if it always crashes or if it always does well or if it sometimes is good and sometimes doesn't. Like, what's going to happen to it? It'll be pretty good. One day, simulation will reach that point. It'll be accurate like that. And it's all thanks to the Zoom AI assistant. <laughs> You mean the AI assistant that is helping us currently record episode 460 of the Day One Patch podcast? That is the same AI assistant that I'm talking about, of course. But as uh, as for the usual now, I'm your temporary host, uh, Matt Lawrence, Ryan <laughs> the Johnson. Usual the usual host. The usual temporary. Uh, um, Ryan is away on a trip. And I am joined again, once again, by Tim Spence. How's it going? It's me. I'm the only one that's here. And also you. I was going to say, and, and you also like, we're just staring longingly at me there for a moment. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Sometimes I just get lost in your eyes, you know? Even though what's really weird about webcams is like my webcam is on my left side martyr. But when I look at Tim, I'm looking at him on my main martyr. So I'm not looking, I'm looking at him, but... I'm not looking at him. You see me, but you're not actually looking eye to eye with me because we're not both looking into our webcams while That's we talk, right. which is how people in like games and movies do it. Like they, they're always looking like right at the camera as they speak. But that's not actually how it goes in a real call because hardly anybody has their camera like right next to or right above their monitor, their eye line and where they're the other person who's on the screen that they're talking to is like right next to the camera or whatever. But anyway, do, do you remember the era of the nose cam? The, no, what? So when phones, this is a few years ago and it might still be happening. I, I haven't really looked at the form factor of laptops. This is largely a laptop problem. So when phones were getting thinner and thinner bezels and getting more and more of their front glass to be, to be screened. So instead of the actual size of the phone getting bigger, there's the screen was getting larger. Right. And the bezel was shrinking. Um, laptops like we're kind of starting to do the same thing. But the problem is, is that there's a whole bunch of circuitry and such, especially if you have a good webcam, there's like light sensors and microphones usually up there and stuff. And it's usually at the top bezel of your screen. 
but I guess it looks weird or it's not practical for some reason to have like a bezel screen at the bottom near the hinges. So what usually happens is there's a, there's like a bezel, the chin on the bottom of a laptop monitor. And then there's a pretty much right to the edge screen on a lot of these laptops. And so it pushed, it pushed the the webcam out of there. And so it was like this big problem because it was like, what do we do with this webcam? And some phones had the same problem, right? Where like a camera would, a, a selfie cam would pop up or would flip around to like get to like see you and stuff like that. Um, there's like under the screen. I don't know if they ever got those working, but the nose cam came from, there would be like an F key or something that would have a webcam in it and it would pop up at an angle to look at you. But the problem is you're at a laptop. So it's like pointing up your nose. Okay. <laughs> and my right. laptop has a nose cam because my laptops like webcam is on that bottom chin. So it just like looks right up my nose. <laughs> What? Who? Okay. Uh, that seems like one of those things where it's like it solved one problem, but it's created so many more. Like, how did that possibly get back up, get past R and D? And the thing too is, <sighs> I, I would argue that it it's not that much nicer to have the screen be right to the edge. Now, I think they've solved it. I don't know what the solve was. If it if it has been solved, maybe people just have nose cams. Although I haven't seen one in action in a long time, I guess. So that's good. But uh, that's. That's a little bit of laptop lore for you. Wow, laptop lore. There you go. Instead of gaming fun facts, we got laptop lore. <laughs> now we're going to have to have a new segment every time. Every time Ryan's not here. No gaming fun facts, only stupid lore that's vaguely like tech related. <laughs> this is still kind of relevant, but it's still dumb. It's still yeah, dumb, dumb tech, ask co-pilot, dumb tech facts from like this day. <laughs> I really hope history. that. I really hope that Ryan's listening to this and just shaking his head with his head in his hands and it's just shaking going, why? Anyway, that's, that's Matt Lawrence. This is the Daily Patch Podcast. And we have a whole bunch of gaming news to talk to you about today, including Fallout 76, specifically its launch and how uh, one particular designer has been reflecting on how the studio thought it was infallible before that 76 launch, which was uh, not good. We also have the <laughs> Xbox Xbox earnings, uh, the post Starfield earnings, actually. And it's mostly good news, according to IGN. We're also going to be talking about the PS5 Slim's optical disk drive needing a connection to the Internet to pair it to the console. We're going to have a discussion about that because it's weird. And finally, something I noticed in the Steam store um, shortly before it actually came out, and I'll talk about that when we get to it, Valve officially releases Steam VR 2.0. So, no further ado, let's go talk about that Fall of 76 story. This comes to us from IGN. Bethesda thought it was infallible before the Fallout 76 launch, says former design director Bruce Nesmith, who was a quest designer on Fallout 76 and Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, as well as lead designer on Elder Scrolls V Skyrim and senior designer on Starfield. Busy guy before leaving Bethesda in 2021, told MinMax that the studio's that the, the studio's own hubris caught up with it. He said, quote, Fall 76 was one that I definitely struggled to warm up to. I think the company's aim was not as focused as it probably should have been, and you can see the results of that in the way it entered into the marketplace. To a certain extent, our own hubris caught up with us. We had had so many not just successes, but literal game of the years, industry-wide accepted game of the years, not just in our own heads or in these little two mag in or in these little two magazines over there. But everybody is saying that this is the game of the year. We started to talk ourselves into the fact that we were infall infall infallible. Fallible? What am I saying now? Infallible. 
infallible. I said it before and I can't say it now. There was nothing we couldn't do. And clearly that's wrong. It was like, it's going to be the same follow. All we have to do is add multiplayer. And with those words, we started down a path that was not as successful as we had, as we had before, because it's not just adding multiplayer. Yeah. Turns out it was adding so, 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 so much more. Yeah, it's never just as easy as like add multiplayer. It really it reminds me of like people in Facebook comments just being like, just make Fallout 4 and add multiplayer. And there you go. You got another game of the year, which is funny that he says it like that as if it was just so simple. But there's so much more that goes into um, a, a single player game to make it a multiplayer experience than just literally adding connectivity. Like there are mods for Skyrim where you can play Skyrim together and yeah, it's, it's doable, but what makes a multiplayer game fun on mass is usually not playing the game as if it's a single player experience. And then just having your friends like with you while you do it, you know, usually it's, it's taking into account, how fun the game is when you have multi-person interactivity there and the thing too is is that they went the mmo route which is i would say arguably harder because there it is more so just like just add multiplayer if it was just a co-op game because there's going to be a lot of things to think about, right? It's never just as simple as add multiplayer, but it's certainly going to be much more simple than let's hope let's open up a world to you know, dozens of people and let them run around and stuff because there's something each design decision needs to be thought of in the beginning of Fallout 76. When you had a quest, the uh, quest owner, the uh, the party owner could share that quest with everybody and they could see where the person was. It was identified by a star rather than the normal quest marker. And then you knew, okay, the, the party leader has, is doing this quest or at this stage and I'll, you know, I can run over there and help them and I know where to go. That has since gone by the wayside and gone more the Elder Scrolls online route, which is it doesn't show you where the person is at all. And there's like shared activities, but like that's how mo- a lot of modern multiplayer games are is that most of the, most of the activities are actually single player activities in these MMOs. Um, which we all, which we complained about quite a bit when we jumped into ESO because we thought, we're in a party. Why can't we do the quest and see them? But it's like, no, no, we each have to do the quest individually. We can't see where each other are at. And we just have to confirm verbally with each other in a Discord call where we're at. And like some of us listen to all the lore. Some of us exhaust all the speech options. Some of us, you know, go fast. And so you have people waiting for you. You're you're keeping people back if you're one of the people that lasts forever. And so like all these decisions you have to really think about. And there's more and more and more of those decisions as you add more people. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a bit of a regression because I remember like the early days of WoW and it being like that. You'd party up and then everyone would have their own individual quest requirements they had to fulfill. Like if you were if you were tasked to kill, you know, 20 boars or whatever, you couldn't it wasn't 20 between all of you. It was 20 individually so if you were trying mm-hmm. to play with your friends you all had to sit around and wait and the the respawn times were so bad back then Ugh. that you would have to sit around and wait and kill these 20 boars and then you have to sit and wait and help your friend kill these 20 boars and then maybe you have a third friend and it's just like the incentive to play there the the incentive to play with multiple people is less and less the more people you add to it which is so counterintuitive it's like when you add more people the game should become more fun and it's funny how it almost seems like they never played an MMO before making Fallout 76 is the impression that I get. It's like an MMO made by people who don't who have never played an MMO before. 
I, I would say 100% because when I remember when they were introducing it at E3 and I watched everything on it. I watched the E3 Coliseum mm-hmm. on it and all the interviews and all, all, all the things that I could get my hands on. And I remember every interview, I I'd, I'd kind of be left with this burning question, like, what are we supposed to do? They're saying like, oh, you know, you're going on the same quest. You're going this, you're doing that. It's like, are we going to be doing that? And it's like, yeah, but remember, there's no humans in this world. And again, it's sort of like, okay, so what? what's the quest design like? Like, this is like, not only are you adding multiplayer, you're adding this, like, I would argue, huge change to your quests, which is there are no sentient NPCs in this in this universe, effectively. So who's who's being motivated to do anything? Um, and so you're, now your quest designs have to change as well. So now your quest designs are changing. They're mechanically changing because of multiplayer. And and then what ended up happening was the quest designs kind of didn't change. It was like, go find out what happened to Timmy. I know what happened to Timmy. Timmy's fucking dead because yeah. everyone in this world is fucking dead. <laughs> it's funny, right? It, how it changes the game experience by having or not having NPCs for a particular like quest design. Like when you think about it, the only if you're just thinking like purely like pragmatically binary type socio or a sociopath like type of thought process is that NPCs only exist in these games to either give you a quest or like be an objective or whatever else that's it so like theoretically you could remove all npcs and just have those quests delivered to you pragmatically by just a quest log update or an audio file or an item you found or a location you visited and then it just like gets added to your journal or your quest log or whatever you could do it that way and then they did it sort of in the beginning with some like robots sometimes but largely i think what i remember is that it was like audio files and holotapes yep or holotapes or other items you could find and it's just like that somehow made it so much less fun and less investing than if a person did the exact same thing but they were the one who gave it to me because then it's like you have that connection maybe you feel that obligation or depending on what kind of character you are you know you you might have a sudden different motivation to do or not do this quest or pick a way to do it based on how you feel about the person that you were interacting with. And it's like, it's, it's a thing that I feel like, like when I say it feels like a, or felt like a game that was made by people who had never played an MMO before. It's like, we're kind of retreading old ground. Like we're making the same mistakes that were made in MMOs like 20 years ago that, it's it's like they never took a critical look at an MMO and went, okay, what is not fun about this that we should avoid? And they have Zenimax Online, which has a massively successful MMO, yeah. you know, ESO. And it's yeah. like, why didn't you talk to them? I think they ended up kind of conversing with them and getting some information and stuff from them, uh, if I remember correctly, and what, for one of the updates. But there was a lot of mistakes made even with the robots. So they made it so that a lot of the, the talking robots were protectrons. Protectrons, if you know Fallout at all, are the slow talking robots. Put a robo brain in there so it can talk to me. Yeah. Why are, Why are these protectrons talking to me? Hello there, human. It's like, oh my god. I'm Prim Slim. Howdy there, <laughs> partner. It's like, why Why are these decisions being made this way? And and one of the sad things is is the lore the lore of the game is that uh, the vault, so Vault 76 opens up and you are meant to sort of rebuild America. And there's other motives, you know, in the story, of course, 
typical vault tech and yada, yada. But in general, you're supposed to go out there and rebuild. And that's why you have a camp and you can build things out and you can do this and that. And I remember talking to like we we played Fallout 76 to death during COVID. And we had so many conversations of like, if this was just a co-op game and they told us. Like. Forget the camp system where forget the camp system, you go into a city, you go into a town, you have a private world with friends and you're literally rebuilding the world. So you're, you're, you're gathering resources. You're doing the grind. You're doing the MMO grind kind of thing or just the co-op grind, but you're all contributing to like one person's save or however, you know, whoever that would be designed out. And then slowly NPCs show up or something. And it's like, you're actually rebuilding the world. It's a multiplayer game. Like there's so many things that this game could have done. Um, there's so many mistakes, like you said, that were made. One of the major things too was, I think we already kind of touched on it, but it was like, what happens if, like you said, the boars where if there's 10 boars, you need to kill 10 boars and someone does it first. Now those 10 boars are dead and you have to wait for them to respawn. The same thing happened. It happens in Fallout 76 where it's usually with scrap. Scrap is sort of the, a major economic piece. You can build things and repair things. And one of the things is, uh, ballistic, ballistic fiber, I believe it's called. And it's super difficult to find. It's in like, it's in, it's in like short supply. And yeah, you can grind by going to specific places and checking, but because there's only certain places where it's common and easy to get to, everyone's doing that. So now the respawn rate of it's low and it's like, this is a follow game. And like, I'm so used to just being able to go out and farm things. And even if something is quote unquote hard to get, I'm able to eventually figure out a way to mine it or whatever to make it so that I overcome that challenge and it is no longer scarce for me. If I put the effort in, it no longer becomes scarce. Now I'm constantly chasing after ballistic fiber just so I can repair my higher level guns. And there was also another big thing in Fallout 76 as well. And you never really reached the end game of that game. Did you, Tim? Like the end? The One of the biggest complaints that we had is that so they they like when they tried to like fix the game up, some of the like legacy weapons as we call them with like certain combinations of effects like explosive bullets and it's also like bloodthirsty or i think it's called or like the less health you have the more damage it does there's certain combinations that are like gone but if you had them you can keep them yeah right so they're legacy guns and these things are massively op and the problem is they, they they took those they took those away. They said, okay, you know, we're trying to balance things out. You know, if you're if you're a super powerful character because you you did this before, you're a super powerful character because you did this before. This game is largely not PvP. Let's just you know whatever. And then then they start like nerfing things, or even because they took these away, now a lot of the guns aren't viable. And like I remember talking to Marty about this, and he's like, in Fallout, I can take any gun. And yeah, one gun might be better than the other, but I'm able to like play with it and and experiment with it. And it's viable enough. Like I'm able to modify it, enhance it or whatever to the point where if I want to use like, like a shittier gun, I can still use it and it's still viable in Fallout 76 Endgame, There's like five or six gun types that are viable. And it's, and it's like, so you're a big, you know, you're a big gunner or you're using legacy or you're using maybe plasma or something. I forget a lot of the, the, the uh, meta now, but it, and that was really unfortunate because they added weapons to the game. And it's like, cool, I guess this goes into my stash. Yeah. Because it's not viable. Why would I keep this with me? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's never a good... Like, I get it if they're trying to bolster, like, the, the game's inventory of, like, weapon variety or something for people that are, like, leveling or people that just want... They don't care about the min-maxing. They just want, you know, what they want for their character kind of thing. But... When an MMO 
for as much as I like hate to admit it because I wish it wasn't the way, but for an MMO, the end game is always the priority. Like you, you always want as many people at the end game as possible. And like you say, when you get to the end game, you're naturally going to gravitate towards what's best for my character. And if you're putting stuff in the game and focus on the game, that's not conducive to those uh, to making those characters better and stronger or making those players happy with the way that their character is like updating. Like, yeah, you're going to lose people. And I don't know. It's just like, it, it's, it's weird to see because as somebody who played like a lot of MMOs growing up, it's weird to see these like same mistakes being made. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't know what their own game was too, because the shop was active and they're trying to sell skins for a ridiculous amount of money. And people are kind of like, you know, it's cool to find a cool outfit and follow, but am I really going to buy one? You know, a lot of, and it's like a lot of people did and a lot of people didn't because in followed it, it, it's cool to wear like a shopping cart over your face. that's all rusted. And that's your yeah. piece of armor. You know, it's yeah. like, that's yeah. your, that's your armor. Why do I need like a fancy uh, leather hunter's jacket? But then once like the camp building started taking off, people started, you know, really making YouTube videos and, and uh, putting together different whatever's, it was like, okay, like putting together different camp designs. It was like, okay, like maybe this game is about camp building. And one of the things I remember they'd added too was they added, I think it was like a survival mode where it was like all. So right now it's like, if, if you're playing like the, the, the sort of the base game and I go over to your camp, Tim, and I shoot at you, it says like, I want to engage in P- PVP and it does barely any damage. Yeah, yeah. You have to then shoot at me and yep. then the duel starts and we fight. Yep. Um, And then there's some mechanics after that, seeking revenge and yada, yada. They made it so that there was a mode where it was like all all out war. You could be peaceful. You could not. You could destroy each other's camps. You could not. And that that mode just fell through. Like it just it just was removed one day. I didn't hear anyone moan about it. And that was it. And it was sort of like, you guys don't even know what your player base is really doing. Like you're just sort of like, well, like, I'm sure this will be fine. They added a freaking battle royale to this game. Mm-hmm. I remember was- that's the last like big announcement I remember seeing for Fallout 76. And I heard no one talk about it. And and it was like, okay, but it's fall 76. It doesn't run that well. So now you're playing a competitive <laughs> shooter and you're getting fucked over by like lag and stuff. It's like, really? Yeah, Not it's, good. It's, it's shoehorned. It's just shoehorned in after the like hype of of uh, Fortnite. And they were like, oh, we should do that too. Cause we have an MMO and lots of people playing it. And if you don't design for battle Royale, it's not going to work like 90% no. of the time. But luckily, Fallout 76 has gone down a better path now. They have lots of quests, lots of factions. You can absolutely play it single player, and there's still be people running around. You can go into private uh, servers if you want, if you have Fallout First, of course, which is the subscription service. Um, so you're still going to get a little bit of that MMO stuff, the Atomic Shop, the, subscri- the optional subscription service. But you can absolutely just go, enjoy a story, make choices, play a certain type of character, choose a faction, and then make another character if you want so you, you can still absolutely play it just like a fallout game and there's npcs now so that's good <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is funny to hear though from an actual bethesda perspective that they were like yeah we thought that everything we touched was gold and sometimes you gotta realize that that's not the case and you gotta be humbled hard by something that that even they the way that he's speaking about it here in these quotes is like he clearly thinks that it was a bad project yeah yeah. Well, I, I mean, as a closing note for myself on this story, 
I remember this moment at E3 where the one dude, I can't remember his name now. Um, he, uh, he was describing that they were, one person had set up their camp uh, on, on a road and the road was lined with sort of like a hedgerow or like some bushes. And they had hid turrets in the bushes, so they were completely invisible. You couldn't really see them. Okay. And he sat down like a chair with a trombone or like a tuba or something in the middle of the road. And he was just sitting there playing the tuba. And so when they're in inter-office testing, the one guy's like, oh, haha, like, I'm going to shoot this guy. Like, what the hell is he doing? So when he takes his shot, the first shot does hit, but then the turrets go and take the, take the, the shooter out. And that was kind of the joke. And I was like, this is funny because you guys are all in the office and you guys are going to talk about this. And it's kind of a funny story to tell people now, but is that what the game is? Is you guys just kind of goofing off? Like I haven't heard anything about what factions there are, the quests. You just keep saying we're going to be able to do quests. What quests? Like I need an example, you know? Um, And that never came. And that was my first red flag. I I remember being like, this kind of sounds like no man's sky. (laughs) Where they don't really know what this is. Like, I haven't been given a definitive answer, and I, uh, I'm i kind of worried now. Yeah. Is it a sandbox where it's just the point is to goof around, or is this just a thing you can do within the world? Because, like, if that's the case, that's cool. But, like, yeah, what's the substance? Yeah, exactly. Unfortunate, but at least it is fixed now. A lesson learned, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Well, kind of, actually, because uh, we had to have Starfield now, and... Uh, our second story here is that Xbox reveals its earnings, its first post-Starfield earnings, and it's mostly good news. This comes to us from IGN as well. Microsoft has just shared its first quarter results for the 2024 fiscal year, and it's mostly good news for Xbox. Following the long-anticipated release of Starfield, Xbox has broadly seen an increase in overall gaming revenue despite a decline in hardware. In its press release, Microsoft confirmed that Xbox content and services, which include the gaming subscription service Xbox Game Pass, saw a revenue increase of 13% over the last quarter. This follows the release of Starfield, touted as one of the most important releases in Xbox's history, which managed to hit 10 million players in just three weeks to become the biggest launch in Bethesda Game Studios' history. It was not all good news for Xbox, however, as hardware revenue declined by 7%. It was part of an overall decline that saw revenue from Microsoft hardware hardware devices, such as Surface tablets, drop some 22%, which is a big drop. Holy. I mean, when you release Starfield and you make a big point that it's going to be from day one available on Game Pass, it's not going to inspire people to buy an Xbox, you know? Like they'll if stream I stream it, right? They'll just stream it. Like I already have a, a computer, or I if you get like some other streaming device, right? Then if you really want to play Starfield, like you you can. You don't have to go out and get an Xbox for it. So I can't imagine that they were expecting huge like people, uh, huge amounts of people flooding gaming stores to buy Xboxes. Which is unfortunate because, I mean, we always hear that we're going toward like a service economy or we're already there or whatever. I'm not an economist, so God knows where we are. But, um, and this is sort of like one of those things where Xbox Game Pass is absolutely almost like games as a service. 2.0 2.0 in a way where we're basically paying for, you know, a collection of games over time and, and, and the list goes on. But um, it is unfortunate because Xbox is obviously trying to sell hardware as well. And we're seeing like its revenue hit, but what's interesting is that its revenue was hit with this, with this like other hardware news, this surface news. And Ryan and I were actually talking about this. We were texting about this the other day. Um, and we were like discussing how, 
like the PC market is shrinking, meaning the PC market as a whole, not just like people are going from PC to Mac. I mean, personal computers, the market is shrinking. And it's sort of like, well, some of that is going to be because during COVID it exploded and then it shrunk now because we're not in the, the COVID era anymore. But I kind of had a different a different take on this or a different thought on this. And that was that we have this weird thing with computers right now. And I don't know if this is going to be, you know, overall going to affect Xbox, maybe. But basically my thought is, is that with computers, you have companies like Microsoft, like Samsung, um, and I'll leave Mac out of it because they're a little they're a little different. And I'll explain it in a second. They're, but Microsoft Surface and 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 um, Galaxy Books from Samsung are very designer brand, and so there is certainly a level of you're paying for the name. But back when we were buying computers, especially for gaming, and it is still largely the case in gaming computers, you're pay, you you generally pay less for the name and you pay more for the power. And there's brands out there that when we were in college, a lot of people said, oh, they're going to die. One of them was Acer is a, is a great, is a prime example. Acer is going to die, but Acer is out there making computers that are, that are powerful. They're cheaper. Sometimes you'll get plastic over metal, for example, but they're decent and they're, they're significantly cheaper and that's it. And, and just I'm kind of chugging along. Yeah. Just chugging along. And I'm wondering where, whether, we're seeing people start to go, start to realize, hang on, these Galaxy books, even the top tier ones are not the top tier spec. And I'm paying, you know, a hefty premium because here's the thing is like, when you're talking about a gaming PC, you're upgrading the hardware, right? Like significantly, it's like, oh, I'm able to do VR now. I'm able to do 4K now. I'm able to do, you know, 120 Hertz, 144 Hertz, whatever. Now you're seeing a jump. But what jump are you seeing in productivity computers? Like, why are you paying 2000, 3000, you know, 12, even 1200? Like, why are you paying yeah. that amount for productivity computers for a word processor? Like, sure, the word processor is getting more features. So, sure, it will need a little more processing power. Not $2,000 worth more processing power, yeah. though. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering if people are waking up and then they're bought and they're buying computers for the power again, meaning the computing power. I have no evidence to this, but it's just it's just a, a, a thought I had because yeah. whenever I look for a computer, I'm like, I'll get a Galaxy Book. It's easy. And then I look and I'm like, I'm not going to get a Galaxy Book because it's just not powerful enough. Like, why would I do that? I'm just going to get an Asus or an Acer. Like, why not? It, it, it It's funny because it feels like this particular problem that you're describing applies to the vast majority of people. Like people are looking for best value. It's a very small percentage of the population that's buying this stuff that says the name and like the clout that it gets me is more important to me than anything else. Mm -hmm. And if I have to pay an extra $600 for that, then I'm going to do it because the appearance is what matters. Like I can't, I can't roll up to a business meeting and I'm using an Acer, like a little, right. little laptop. Like it, it has to be a, you know, like a MacBook or whatever. Um, and I, I think that that is something that it's surprising that more, that I don't see more people talking about it when it seems like the situation you described applies to the vast majority of people. Because the, like the MacBook situation is, is also a little weird in itself because Mac, Mac or Apple is largely a designer brand. Yep. People do buy it for status, but in its defense, Apple Silicon is very good. 
Yeah, it lasts, not, not a, it lasts a long time, you know? Yeah. And, and so like, there's, there is a reason why people buy MacBooks, but you are hundred percent correct. And I agree. It's like, why would you buy a MacBook pro to do word processing? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, I don't like, you know, I don't like windows. It's like, but you're just word processing. Yeah. Like just get used to windows, open up word or have it boot at startup and then don't use windows barely. But there you go. It's the same situation where like the convenience or the desire, right, outweighs yeah. the big price tag. And these uh, maybe these people um, have so much disposable income that they just don't care. They're like, yeah, it's 600 bucks or I have to take all this time to learn how to use Windows more over Mac. And yeah, I'm only doing word processing, but then I have to like use the Windows UI and I'm used to the Mac UI. It's just more like... It's just easier in the long run for me if I, you know, stay within my Apple architecture. Yeah, I, like there's definitely going to be like a preference thing for sure. And the Surface does bring with it as well, like as, as another example, it does bring with it a unique form factor. It is a tablet. Uh, they do or did have the Surface book. There is the Surface laptop as well. And so like there, there, it is bringing unique Surface Studio. Actually, I just remembered. So it, it is bringing with it, you know, unique form factors, unique functionality to an extent, you know, absolutely. Um, but this, like, to, to bring all this back to this, is I'm on your side with the Game Pass thing, where if you're a person that just has a productivity computer, like an old computer, like a ThinkPad, that was literally given to you by your work, or you have, you know, just like a tablet or just something like that, because I'm. I'm starting to know increasingly or more and more people without computers. Like they just don't have computers. They just don't need them. It's like, why have yeah. a computer? And to me, that's like such a, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, like four computers. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I need a computer. Like, what are you talking about? I need multiple computers, oh, man. but uh -huh. to them, it's like, they don't need a computer. And it's like the bang for the buck would be again, to avoid buying the hardware at all. Don't get invested in it at all buy the subscription, buy yep. like a fire stick or, you know, the most cheap device, whatever the most cheap device is. Yeah. Cheapest way to get to the end end goal. Yeah. And then just, you have good internet probably because a lot of people do now and then boom, that's it. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's like the same sort of thing, right? Bang for the buck. And I'm honestly wondering if like, that's where we're kind of at. And it's totally it's viable too. Like, mm -hmm. so it's almost an, again, one of those situations where it's like, you could do it for cheaper. So why don't you? Yeah. And for us, you know, like we're, uh, we're like, I'd say more enthusiast grade than just like ho hobbyists. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to notice, we're, we're going to notice the, the drops in frames uh, or the lag spikes or the input yep. delay. Like we're going to notice that, but I mean, to them, like to people that don't play games much, they probably don't notice it at all. Like they, they, yeah, and, definitely they not. and they're not even desiring the better, like they're not even desiring what we desire, like on yep. the, the console running native right on the console, because they yep. have, they have either never experienced it or they experience it so rarely that it's, it's not, not something issue. they even think of. It's not yeah. a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Like perfect example, Kayla and I playing Baldur's Gate together on the PS5 and like split screen, like all the issues that I've had with Baldur's Gate is only because of split screen. Um, and it's the things that, that I noticed that she doesn't notice, like exactly the situation last night. Uh, I was, I was just commenting on how like the game does like a big lag spike every time one of us pulls up uh, our inventory because it has to like load the screen. Right. And then it's also right. processing the game for the other person while they're running around on their screen. And it's, it's not a big drop, but for somebody who's used to consistent frame rates with games, 
any drop at all is like, ooh, bit of a bit of a lag there for a second. Mm-hmm. And it's it's every time. It's not even just something that like the game does it once and then you're good for a little bit. It's it's every time. Oh. It's every time you pull up the radio menu, it's every time you go to open your inventory, it's every time you, you know, change a tab in a in the menu or whatever, it it does a big spike. And so I was we were we were talking about it and then Kayla was like, Oh, I don't really notice that. And then I was like, Okay, like look when I go like this. And I was pointed out and I was like, When I go like this, and I pointed out, and she's like, Oh yeah. And it's just nothing, it's just something she had not even noticed. I think mm-hmm. she just kind of was like she saw it when we started playing it, and then she's like, Oh, yeah, this is just how like the game works and just accepts it, right? Whereas I'm used to the alternative, so it sticks out to me like a sore thumb. Yeah, and and the thing that it's kind of crazy too is that there's a lot of like enthusiast grade i would say gaming tools on pc even they're supposed to help frame rate and so help, help mm-hmm. those type of things and we noticed the side effects of those like the i remember when i was playing cyberpunk uh, most notably the new i think it's the 2.0 update um i noticed like i just I, I couldn't drive well and i was like something's not right like there's the game's running good like i'm getting a consistent 30 or whatever the target is i think i was actually getting more like 48 which is kind of impressive but i was like something's not right here and then I looked it up and it was like, oh, yeah, like Steam has its own. I don't know if it's VSync, but it's something like that, uh, specifically for the Steam Deck. And it just introduces like a copious amount of input delay. And I was like, how many people seriously are playing Cyberpunk on a Steam Deck? Because they're like, I want to play Cyberpunk. And they just have a Steam Deck and they're a casual player. They bought a Steam Deck because it's you know relatively affordable in the grand scheme. And for playing computer games, yeah. For playing computer games, absolutely. Um, and how many people are playing it with that setting on? And when I turned it off, I was like, Oh, thank God. Like, this is like, this is more like it. Like now I can, yeah. now I can drive. Like, yeah. Holy crap. And just never know, you know, and not have the technical wherewithal to be like, to look it up and be like, is this a thing that I can fix? Mm-hmm. Like, like, or, or like, you know, I would imagine the vast majority of people would just go, Oh, this is just, this is just how it is. Cause I've definitely as a kid, played games that were laggy as hell, terrible frame rate. And then like a friend has come over and been like, what's going on here? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm just playing, you know, enter game name here. And it's like, why is it running like shit? I'm like, what do you mean by running like shit? Like it's running on the computer. It's not crashing. Like, what do you mean? It's not like, it doesn't even register. It's like, to me, I just thought that this game was kind of slow. There's and nothing I actually, wrong. Yeah. I didn't even think of it. It was just sort of like, Oh, that, you know, that's Morrowind or whatever. Yeah. You know, way back in the day. And then it's like, Hey, yeah. like why are your settings on ultra? Like turn this down. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now it looks better. Oh yeah, wow. Look at it go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like like you say, the um the biggest hurdle I imagine for this sort of thing is like you say, the fast internet, which most people have pretty decent internet these days, especially when it comes to playing games and and now potentially streaming them too, as the infrastructure gets better and better, right? So um that's the uh, that's the piece I think that a lot of gaming now is going to is going to hinge on is like how quickly can we deliver to the consumer? Yeah, and it's it's funny how these companies like Xbox and and you know PlayStation and even Nintendo and just anybody else are fully reliant on a completely other company, a completely other industry to deliver their product for them. You know, they're they're banking on these these companies that are service providers making their their service delivery system and their 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 technology and infrastructure better over time 
it, it we definitely live in like an intertwined world right because it's like i know microsoft has azure or azure as some people say mm-hmm. um for their cloud computing but how many games just in general in the world including big ones like nintendo and yada yada use like third-party infrastructure like how many how many how many games are running on i think it's called like aws matchmaking technology because you'll notice when aws goes down you hear aws goes down it's like well there goes snapchat like there goes there goes snapchat there goes this there goes that oh this is going to be intermittent that's going to run like shit and it's like oh oh damn like we you know we live in this very hyper connected world like that yeah yeah it's it's crazy how like people will people take that service delivery so much for granted that even if something is down for like 10 minutes or like an hour, it's the end of the world. And it's like, we don't give these companies enough credit that they have an uptime of like 99.9%. And, and still that's not good enough for some mm-hmm. people, you know, but uh yeah, speaking of internet uh delivery systems, I hear that the PS five slims optional disc drive needs to connect to the internet to pair it to a console. Matt, is that true? I liked that that transition. Yes, indeed. Uh, this comes to us from IGN as well. PS5 PS5 Slim's optional disk drive needs to be connected. It needs to connect, excuse me, to the internet to pair it to a console. The upcoming PlayStation 5 Slim has popped up online, and with that comes fresh information about how the optional disk drive will work with the digital edition of the console. So, if you don't know what that is, it's quite literally like a like a sold separately disk drive that pops into the bottom of the console, so it looks pretty much like the big PS five right now with the disc drive, but it's just the entire package is smaller. So right. either you yep. have the bump for the drive or either you don't have the bump for the drive and it's optional, like I said, uh, but the Charlie Intel Twitter account published images of the call of duty, modern warfare three PS five slim bundle and eagle eyed observers noticed a disclaimer that has set the set the cat among the pigeons I was going to say, I've never seen that used in a gaming article, but anyway, within the video game community. Uh, and it says here that internet connection is required to pair disk drive and PS5 console upon setup. Word that the optional disk drive requires an internet connection upon setup has raised game preservation fears. Digital Foundry's John Linneman, a longtime proponent of physical game media, called the move, quote, highly concerning and very strange. Uh, hardware connectivity shouldn't be determined by a server that may not always be available. And that's a, that last part especially is a bloody good point because stuff shuts down. And could you imagine, could you imagine an N64, if we go back in time, that for some reason requires a different size physical slot. And then you plug in that accessory so that you can fit your larger cartridge for some reason. And obviously the N64 server is not available anymore ridiculous like this is a this is a ridiculous why i think Um, that's that's a difficult comparison to make because like yeah the n64 is is a good console and stuff but it's like in 2023 it's it's not really relevant like i get the the point that you're making and that like all hardware eventually will become irrelevant but like they can't be expected to operate servers for consoles that are 20 years old but i i know what you're saying like when when is that line drawn that mm. there's no longer that support and we already kind of deal with that with software not even kind of we already do deal with that with software where servers get shut down right yeah um but yeah it's a very 
strange concept these days to see something like that for support from the service provider or the dev or whatever um, being a pivotal point for your hardware operating, not your software. Because, yeah, what about people that live somewhere where they can't yet have a stable internet connection in 2023? It does exist. There are those people out there. Is the company saying we just don't care about those people or those people should get the PS uh, the PS5 Slim that has the disk drive. Um, like, what is the, what is the point? You know, like it's mm-hmm. so. What what is, what is the market here? If you've got a PS5 Slim that has a disk drive, which is is that the case? There are two, right? There's a there's a digital, uh, version, and then there's the disk drive version, right? Well, no, Slim. no. So the PS5 Slim is shipping with just an optional. With just an optional disk drive. So the PS5 Slim is without a disk drive. And okay. then you can yeah, you can yeah. purchase a disk drive and like snap slap it on there. Right. Um but like connecting through the internet is such a wild design choice for a physical connection. It's like you could just have a port. You could or a cable. It just you plugs just in. Do it. Like it plugs like, into the thing. What is the data transfer system? You you put your disk in a, in the hard drive, or you put a disk in the disk tray that then sends that game signal to a server that then pings back to your house through your modem router and then back to the PS5? Or is it over your own local Wi-Fi? Because would, at that point, why not just stream? Like what? <laughs> it's a, you're you're adding a middleman for streaming the games that you physically have. I guess. Right. I think what it's doing is so like you can buy a bundle that has the optional disk drive, either pre-installed or comes in the box, right? Like the bundle. That's what this Modern Warfare Three bundle is. Um, and I would imagine what it's doing is you know how there's like that home console system where you can have multiple PlayStation fives and even multiple Xboxes, but one is your home system. And that's sort of what the app controls. So that's what, that's the console that when you say you want to do a remote download or a remote update or like whatever through the app, that's where it does it. Um, what I'm thinking is, is that it requires like, so it is plugging into some sort of port. Like it is plugging into, let's just say you it's USB. I don't think it is, but let's just say it's USB on the bottom. And then it's obviously hooking into the console with some hooks and that type of thing, some clips and such. Um, just to get it to literally pair to that console. Cause it does say internet connection required to pair disk drive and PS five console upon setup. So in other words, like it's like registering that disk drive, presumably uh, it, to some sort. And I'm wondering if it's like marrying the two together. And so it knows like, Hey, if I bought two PS five slims, this one has, this one has a disk drive and this one doesn't for some reason, it'd be like in my asset list. For some reason. Um, so I would estimate. And maybe the answer is out there, but I would estimate that once you pair it, it works without it, without the Internet. But this is, again, one of those things where it's like, I understand that you, you can't be expected to keep servers up all the time. But why did you require a server in the first place? Like if a server isn't required and you know you're eventually going to shut it down. I mean, could you imagine if you had a USB stick, just like a USB memory stick, right? It has a little bit of storage on there. 
and it required the internet for some reason on the first time use. So if you yeah. bought like a pack of four of them, you use three of them, then like, you know, five years later, you need another one. You go grab that last one. Oh, sorry. That like data traveler, like thing isn't there anymore. You can't register it. Can't use it. What? When you say that, it reminds me of like game when games used to come with um, activation codes. Yep. CD and, keys. And, you know, what if you go to play this old game that you have and you go to activate it in the server where they would confirm the activation of your CD key doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, are you just high and dry? It's just these sneakily anti-consumer decisions that are being made and it's like oh if it doesn't serve us and the consumer right now who fucking cares about tomorrow right now then we don't care mm-hmm. there's no longevity there's no money in longevity you know arguably or there's there's little money maybe in, in longevity yeah. like hey you know if you want to play this game in the future ask for it enough get the community together and maybe we'll remake it and sell it to you for $90 yeah it's it's purely up to what are you willing to pay us to do this? Like what's what's our bottom line look like for this? What's interesting about this too is like we were talking and and we never looked this up. We probably like the answer I'm sure is out there. But we were we were talking about this. Adriano and I were talking about this when it first like launched this news. And we were wondering whether if you have a PS5 right now as it sits, but it is the non-digital one, so it has a drive yep. and it's non-optional. It's built right in there. The question is, if I put a disc in there and I have no internet connection, will the game work? And obviously that's, that is that is per game because some games are online and that type of thing. But mm-hmm. assuming it's a single player game that does not need to talk to the internet, yep. will that game install and function? Because I'll say this, I, I have a, obviously I have Xbox Game Pass. Uh, on Game Pass, I was playing Call of Juarez Bound in Blood, which is a 360 backwards compatible title. I was playing that on my Xbox Series X. I lost internet, thought playing a single player game, it kicked me off. Need to have an internet connection because it couldn't confirm like on my identity or couldn't like check my DRM or whatever. And right. so it like it worked for a bit. It worked for like 16 minutes, I think it was or something. And then it just died and kicked me off. It was like, sorry, we can't like verify this game. And it's like, but why? <laughs> like, but why do you need to verify this game? Like, why do you need to verify it every 15 minutes? Yeah. Like and how, this is, how would I be stealing it now if I wasn't then? And the scary thing is, is like I'm I'm doing this PSP project, so I'm I've actually been seeking out and I've picked up most of the games used at mm-hmm. a really good price, actually. Um, of the, out of the list of games, I think I'm missing like three that I want to beat on the PSP. So I have this like stack of games, and I'm buying the UMDs because you can do digital. But here's the thing. So you could you used to be able to connect to the PS Store via Wi-Fi. They took that away, but they said it's it's they're like it's okay if you have a PS3. You can download the game to the PS3 and you can transfer it to the PSP. I used to do that. So I was like, cool. They took that functionality away. They updated the PS3 to stop that functionality. No. So it's like, what? So it's like, okay, okay. So now it's like, okay, I'm back to UMDs. And I was like, okay, well, there's a fallback. But if we start doing stuff like this in 10 years, when people are like, I wouldn't mind paying my PS5. Well, which, what, what, but what version is it? Does yours have the built-in drive? Because, you know, that one is the only one that works right now. Because if you have the optional drive, sorry, we don't allow the registration of that drive anymore. It's like, what? Like, are we at that point where like, the, we're just like disabling hardware. So now there's just plastic everywhere. <laughs> like like I useless mean, plastic. Like, yeah. That, that is a lot of the planet. Yeah. 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 
this is weird. This is a weird uh, decision. Hopefully it's uh, an interim decision because it's new. And hopefully yeah. they figure out how to like, oh, don't worry, we'll update our whatever system. It's a, it's an experiment to see what they can get away with. Maybe, I don't know, see if it ends up actually being a big deal or not. I guess that's the only way that they're going to find out, right? If it's actually going to be a problem or not, is if they put it to market and see how people react to it. Yeah. I, and, and you know what the funny thing is, is like, we're enthusiasts. We saw this article. A lot of people aren't going to see the article. They're going to yeah. boot up their their console. They're going to have Wi-Fi. They're going to set up their online profile. It's going to register it. They're not going to realize it needed internet. And then it's just going to get brushed under the rug. Yeah. But it, wild. It, it could be one of those situations where, again, it's it's going to impact such a small percentage of the user base that it, it can be considered an outlier. It doesn't actually matter mm-hmm. to the vast majority of people. But it does set it does potentially set a precedent for the future that could be a big problem. We'll we'll be told what to what to play by PlayStation Plus Plus in the various tiers that it has, yep. and or Xbox Game Pass. And if it doesn't have that, it's like well, GG. It'd be gaming TikTok. You won't own any games anymore. You'll just scroll through. You'll turn your console on. It'll pick a random game for you. And uh, you can play that. And if you don't like it, you can skip to the next one. And if you don't like that, you can skip to the next one. But you won't actually like have any of these games. You know what's funny? When you said that, I think I just realized I'm not 100% on this. I'm pretty sure I actually purchased Call of War as Bound in Blood. I don't think it was a Game Pass game. I think I bought that on a deep sale when I was going through my backlog. But you couldn't play it without internet. Because the backward compatibility, I guess the emulator couldn't check home, couldn't call home. So it's like, oh. You must be pirating. Yeah, I'm pirate. Yeah, I did. I did a real quick pirate. I connected to the internet, so I got a little bit of time, and then I ran across like I don't know the country with my with my Xbox still on, and then I like <laughs> went to go play Call of War as Bound in Blood. Ridiculous! Like a total ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's, this is the user perspective, right? So I'm sure there's some like technical reason. I would love to hear the justification for it. Maybe it's awesome. <laughs> like some awesome justification yeah maybe it's like this is a reason it's like that makes oh, so oh, much shit. sense yeah like yeah. okay fair enough yeah no it would be it would be funny to hear it because we don't have that much information obviously this isn't something that they've come out and made a statement about this is just something that people are speculating on and um we hear it uh Dave and patch media do not comment on speculation and rumors so um although we just did yeah disregard <laughs> the last 20 minutes <laughs> uh we have a final story here um, this is actually an interesting one. So uh, Valve officially releases Steam VR 2.0. This comes to us from The Verge. Valve announced Wednesday that it has released Steam VR 2.0, launching the major update exactly um, exactly a month after the surprise launch of Steam VR 2.0 beta in September. In this release, we're bringing all of what's new and exciting in the Steam platform into VR. This is our first big step in a larger ongoing effort to better unify the Steam ecosystem for all users, providing a more consistent experience across devices. This update allows us to add new Steam features in the future much faster and much more frequently. That is a statement from the Steam or from a uh, from Valve in a Steam post. Steam VR 2.0 has been has been a long time coming with Valve saying in 2019 year interview uh, Steam post that it was hard at work on that update. Here are some Valve highlights for what you'll find in Steam VR 2.0, which match pretty closely to what it what it had uh, pointed to in September, which include most of the current features of Steam and Steam Deck are now a part of Steam VR, updated keyboard with support for dual cursor typing, new new excuse me languages, 
emojis and themes, integration of Steam chat and voice chat, improved store that puts new and popular VR releases front and center, and easy access to Steam notifications. Now, I mentioned this slightly earlier. What was interesting about this was the other day, there was a big Fallout sale. And I just was like, I already have most of the Fallouts, if not all of them. So I was like, kind of just poking around looking at it. And I noticed Fallout 4 VR. And I thought, oh, fuck, I kind of forgot about this. Like, I wonder how this reviewed. And I think it was like mixed or whatever. But I was like, hmm, like Bethesda, sorry to say, Bethesda's not that good at supporting a lot of different technologies. I wonder what, I wonder what Steam headsets are. I wonder what headsets this thing supports. So usually in the uh, sort of side where it would say like, you know, co-op, online co-op, blah, blah, blah. It lists or used to list what uh, headsets it would support. So it would be, you know, Windows Mixed Reality, Oculus Rift, you know, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Valve Index, the type of things. And I noticed it just said Steam VR, and I thought, what the hell is this? And this was before the Steam VR 2.0 update. And then I, like, looked up a few other games, like just popular VR games, Arizona Sunshine and a couple others. And I noticed that it just said Steam VR as well. And I was like, did they change this? So I went and I looked up Steam VR, and like Steam VR is like this whole kind of encompassing experience where it's bringing obviously Steam, the launcher, uh, to your VR, you know, view and for for your use, and it also just supports all of the or a, a collection, I should say, of headsets like Windows Mixed Reality and stuff. And I'm I'm wondering, like, I'm not big into PC VR. I just use the Quest Two, but I'm wondering, like, how much is Valve? And it sounds like it's doing quite a bit of work here. How much? Um, kind of bridging work are they doing? Where like I know that Windows Mixed Reality headsets, at least according to a reviewer I watched on YouTube, its support was so-so for games, but it's just in Steam VR. And if they're just claiming Steam VR on all these major titles, and you know I didn't d- dig into like a thousand titles or anything, but if it's just saying Steam VR, is Valve doing the work here to make sure that Windows Mixed Reality and you know Oculus and yada yada, are they ensuring that it just works? And if so, good on them. And and then this this update came out, and it kind of sounds like that's what's happening. I guess my first thought is that like it it sounds like it's going to confuse the end user. Like if someone has a an HTC Vive or Oculus or something specific, and they don't know that that falls under the umbrella of Steam VR, mm-hmm. then they'll look at a game and they'll go, "Oh, it's only on Steam VR. It doesn't work on HTC Vive." And then they'll look for something else. Yeah, they'll think it's the Valve Index, right? Yeah, so to me, that seems like a big problem. Unless they make it really, really clear that they're trying to have some sort of blanket solution. So no matter what you've got, you can use it. It'll just default to like the Steam like uh, system and, and then it'll work. I never really thought of it that way. That is a good point because... Uh, when I looked at it, I didn't know what SteamVR was, and I think you can, I think you can click on it and it brings out the page. Or maybe I looked it up. I think I may have looked it up on the store. I don't remember now, but um, a lot of people are not going to do that. A lot of people are just going to look at that list, mm-hmm. going to look at it and be like, "Oh, like I guess it doesn't support Windows Mixed Reality anymore," and then they're just going to leave. You know, and then, unless, which is unfortunate. They, yeah, unless they literally like go onto the store and go, none of these games are supported by what I have. Like, what's the deal here? And mm-hmm. they'll go and they'll look, maybe they'll Google like, oh, I've got like what what games are compatible, what Steam VR games are compatible with, you know, HTC Vive. And then they'll get all these, you know, results kicked back. And they're like, oh, wait, no, like I can play these. And then maybe they'll go onto the store and then they'll click on a particular game 
and then yeah as they go into it and they go into more of the compatibility and stuff then they'll start to see like it, it could actually work but either that or like it should have a thing where if you go into a game if it detects what hardware you're using and it says this is compatible with your headset or whatever and it's compatible with these particular controllers or this particular camera setup or you know whatever else I don't have VR. I've, I haven't used it myself. The last time I tried to use VR was the PS, the original PS VR, and it made me motion sick. So I've uh, I've been a uh, somebody on the outside looking in through the glass window for a long time, waiting for the day when VR is like advanced enough that it doesn't make me motion sick anymore. Um, Maybe now it has gotten a lot better than PSVR one. Yeah, and like I've I've had a couple of experiences with it just cursory experiences for 15 minutes, maybe where it wasn't too bad. Um, I think it, it has to do with the, uh, the, 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 uh, the very slight delay between like anticipation of movement and actual movement that my brain like short circuits and makes me go, Oh, what the hell's happening? And I get freaking sick from it. Um, so yeah, I I've, I've been wanting to get into VR for a while but it's one of those things where i'm just like i'm i'm just gonna wait until like i'm not hearing so many stories about people getting motion sick from it and then eventually i'll be able to like get into it but um obviously we're we're not on the development side of this we're only on the consumer side of it so we can only look at it from the consumer perspective and from the consumer perspective for me that was my first thought is it sounds unintuitive and uh like people might have issues figuring out if it's actually compatible with their stuff unless they've already done it and they know that it's compatible with what they have or they go digging for it, which because of people's, you know, attention spans, I feel like a lot of people are just going to go, well, it doesn't say buy hardware. Okay. Next. No, it doesn't say mine. Okay. Next. Oh man, this sucks. So there's no games on here for me. Yep. Well, that's, that's the thing is like, that was the thing I loved so much about the make the meta quest too, is that I wanted to get in on it. It was on a deep sale during the holidays. So I picked it up and um, I think I got it as a gift maybe, but it was on a deep sale during that time. And uh, basically it was like, you just, you sign up or like, I, I just signed it with Facebook and everything. I don't care. Like, I you know you can separate it and this and that. I just could give a crap who gives us like, who has my information on Facebook. Cause I barely use Facebook. <laughs> so, Everyone's got it all anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, just have at it. Like, I don't care. So I just like, let it have its way with my account. And then it was just sort of like, I was like store. That's it. Like store cool these games are on sale because it's the holiday season i'll buy that i'll buy that i'll buy that cool i'll try these games out boom that's it and it just makes it so simple it's not connected to a computer there's no fucking cable coming out of me it's like all wireless and that's it it's just super simple but you can have a cable if you want yada yada but um that was the the magic of it and so like i i never thought of it this way like i like the idea of steam vr but it kind of sounds like maybe they could use some fixing up like Steam VR and then underneath, like, say, like Windows Mixed Reality and Oculus and whatever, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. A bit of a UX refresh, maybe. I mean, easy enough to patch in. Yeah. Because it used to be in there anyway, like individually. So it would just be some text, but either that or they just need to have a big, like, marketing push to show that, like, it is an umbrella term. Yeah. Well, what I almost wonder when you, when you, you know, had, had mentioned your concerns. <laughs> I almost wonder is if like the VR market isn't growing, <laughs> the yeah. VR PC market isn't growing. And so like, they're just like, you know, we're going to update it for the people that have it because people do like it, but it's like, it's like when, when was, when, how long has it been is what I was trying to say. Uh, since there's been a valve index long time 
what about the um I almost said PSVR 2, that's wrong. Uh, what about the uh, HTC Vive? Like, I th- I don't even remember if there was a, a Vive 2 or if there was a refresh. I feel like there might have been a refresh at some I think point. multiple, yeah. But the Vive, the funny thing is with the Vive is the Vive, and I think the Index as well, don't quote me on this, uses those room trackers. Like, you have to have, you don't have to, but uh, to have, like, more accurate or maybe proper room tracking you 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 can get those sensors that go in your room and like the oculus quest doesn't need that the Oculus quest just like the quest especially the quest 3 which is ar and vr it just like i don't know lidars it or something it just figures it out it like radars it out and it just like figures out okay this is a chair this is solid don't bump into this like here's your boundary don't bump into that don't walk into your tables <laughs> Like it just figures it out for you. And it's like, that's kind of crazy. Like for a little, like effectively a phone strapped to your face. Like that's pretty wild. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty wild. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, I'm interested in this because uh, I've done a fair bit of uh, VR, just, just playing around with it. More so, more so just like fucking around with it, but I do want to actually like beat, get a half decently long game and actually beat it. And I was going to do resident evil four on there, which I did purchase because it was on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm going to do that Assassin's Creed game because it is on quest two. Yeah. And I think I'm going to try that because it's a, I'm familiar with it more than I am with resident evil. And so I'm like, I'm in, I'm in that universe. So I know what I'm doing. And so now I can just VR it and do it a try. So I'm going to maybe try that, but that concludes our stories for the week. It's time for what we're playing. Tim, what have you been playing? And it better have been more than more than Baldur's Gate. I mean, it's the same as last time. I haven't oh. done anything except Baldur's Gate and Dredge. Okay, you've been doing Dredge at least still. Yeah, a little bit of Dredge here and there. Like I said, like typically in the evenings when I have free time to like play a different game, it's very rare that I have uh, time and Kayla doesn't. So like, because a lot of with like the wedding planning going together, like, our schedules have been pretty synced up into like, we've gotten into the rhythm of like, we both finish work. We do the thing together that we have to do for wedding planning or whatever. And then, uh, you know, we've done what we can today. Now we both have the rest of the evening may as well play Baldur's Gate. So, or like get dinner or whatever. So, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty infrequent where she's been busy doing something that I haven't also been busy doing. And so that has left, uh, not a lot of time to be doing other stuff but uh yeah no it's i mean obviously we're doing it because it's fun dredge uh kind of started to win me back a little bit i think the last time i talked about it i said i was a little disappointed that it was a little too like grindy um but uh once you kind of get more towards the end game and you've been to like main the bunch of the main areas like you're just you've got so much good gear that you're pulling in so much money that you can just buy everything and I sort of got to the point where I was making way more money than I could spend and I was just spending all my excess cash on like the research points you can buy these like research uh little physical like pieces that you spend as like a currency to unlock different things in the research uh, trees for better rods or better crab pots or better trawling nets or all this stuff for um, the way that you can like catch fish and do the main mechanic of the game. Uh, And then the story is starting to get like a little bit more interesting with more NPCs being involved and like telling lore about other NPCs and you can sort of see the effect that they've had on the world. And in terms of like an eldritch 
thriller horror type game. It's it's really cool. Like it's definitely a unique thing that I haven't seen done a whole lot in uh, in games because I haven't typically gone after those sorts of games before. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really cool. I uh, aside from the kind of slow mid game, uh, I don't really have any uh, major complaints about it. It's really cool. But I tend to like Team 17's stuff, so. Um, it's not really a surprise. They, they and Devolver Digital are probably two of my uh, favorite kind of indie uh, um, producer developer type uh, organizations. So they've made a lot of stuff that I've enjoyed in the last couple of years. But in terms of Baldur's Gate, uh, it was a lot of the stream this week and uh, doing the Dark Urge playthrough. And uh, I thought that I would have been able to finish it uh, this week, like we were getting into Act Three at the start of the week, and I was like, oh, "I can, I can pound out Act Three in five days of streams. That's not a big deal at all." And then Thursday morning hit, and I was like, "I have got so much left to do, unless <laughs> I just like rush the shit out of everything. Like there is no way that I'm going to be able to do the whole thing." Um, because I would go to do something, and I'd be like, "Oh wait, but I could do this other thing first, and then that you know has this for this thing that I want to do." And then so then I get sidetracked with like a, a side thing and then a side thing and a side thing and then go to a different area. And Oh, I haven't talked to this character yet. So then you do that. And a lot of the time spent is like having the conversations. Right. So if I was just doing the gameplay and skipping every conversation. Yeah, I would have been done like two weeks ago. But um, the conversations are the are the fun parts. Uh, a lot of the fun in, in those uh, in that game for me, especially with the Dark Urge character, when you get to act three and you like start to learn a lot more about your character and things um without spoiling anything it's uh it's it's really crazy like i've said it before i'll say it again i can't believe that larian took the like murder hobo type uh rpg character like meta concept that a lot of people employ and just say i'm just gonna kill everybody i'm gonna do whatever i want i'm gonna take whatever i want and turn it into not only like a literal character choice for your character in the game but also give it like a fleshed out lore in the world that affects the story of like some of the main characters even if you're playing like another um if you're if you're playing just like a regular character or like one of the origin characters like you learn stuff about uh, like things that could have happened in the background of other playthroughs that are part of the dirge story so like that that the the dark urge is literally like a canonical character in the world that their actions have like led to other things and they're sort of uh there's like one detail that you learn about in the third act that's like kind of pivotal to like the main overarching story that you would have you would have no idea about it because like in, in a normal playthrough because you wouldn't have that information come up for your character at all like with, it's only something that affects the darker character with other characters and it's a conversation for just like between them. So like, and on top of that, I'm finding out that some of the, the companions that I've like kept around that I'm pursuing their stories with like, because I'm doing a dark urge character who's leaning into the dark urge. So it's a very like evil uh, chaotic playthrough and I'm learning things like possibilities for characters stories that I didn't even realize were a possibility and it's purely just because of like a conversation that you can have with this character um, if you go down this path. So 
I have to, I just have to give big props to Larian for it. Like I've gotten to the point, I think the last time that I talked about this on stream, I said like, I basically have to pick from like four endings of what I want to do. Uh, and just sort of like, you kind of come to a head where it's like, you have to kind of pick who you want to do what for as the end of the game. And now it's like eight things. Like from this point, I could go eight different directions and have eight different endings. And it's like it's so many playthroughs. It's so many ways that this could go and so many different interactions with different characters and stuff. Like I thought that they were bullshitting when they were like, oh yeah, there's like thousands of endings to this game. But it's like this is this is kind of what they meant. <laughs> like <laughs> this is what they meant for like like I think of it in the way that like when the end of Fallout New Vegas comes up and it does that sort of like post-game summary and sort of tells you about all the like major decisions that you made for your character and, and what yeah. that meant for the Mojave and stuff. Like that's probably what they meant for 17,000 different endings or whatever it was. Like it's, it's because of all of the possible different outcomes for all of the characters that you may or may not have met in your game and the decisions you made and what that led to. And it's like, yeah, I guess if you multiply this many characters by this many possible endings, by this many outcomes, by this many locations, by this many things existing or not existing, multiply, 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 multiply. Yeah, it comes out to like 10,000 or whatever. So there's all these little permutations. But I wasn't, I was expecting that. But then for the like, you know, actual endings, air quotes, to be like the things that you will actually decide to do or come to a head or ways that some final encounter will go down. I thought that there would be like maybe, maybe 10, you know? Right. And it's seeming like that number is way higher, which is crazy to me. The dedication alone, because most people I would assume are not going to do dark urge first playthrough. And many people are not going to do dark urge at all. And how many people are even going to do a second playthrough? A second playthrough. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> like that's uh to have all these differences. Like every single time we talk about Baldur's Gate or even when I play it, it's like, I find, cause I have two saves going. I find like something else that's different where mm-hmm. I, like, it'll be like, Hey, like why, you know, like, like how do we do this part of the quest? And I'll be like, well, in my quest, it was actually not set up like this. So I don't know. Yeah. We had this moment on the stream on Wednesday. Where we like Ryan was like, what should we do for this? And you were like, well, this guy's dead in my game, so I don't know oh, what to do right. here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I, I don't know how this goes. Because Ryan was like asking us to make the decision for him. And I I'd done it a couple of different ways, and you had only done it the one way. So you're like, Yeah, I got I got no answer for this. Like, this character is dead in my game. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's a good one. Like it's 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 definitely built for playability. It kind of gives me a bit of like fable vibes just in that way where there's like kind of like weird twisting paths. And obviously fable is le- is more simple. Yeah, definitely. But well, only a little bit though. Only a, uh, only a little bit and also like I'm in, I guess age as well. Like it's also an older game so you can't hold it hold that against it too much. Yeah, fable only has 8000 endings. Only 8000. It's not quite this many. <laughs> And Fable Three has like three, I swear. But I, 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 I wager actually probably two, maybe better, better than Mass Effect Three. God, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I know what that means. Like I've heard people bitch about it so much, but I have no real context for it. So I'm just like, <laughs> sure, sure, boys. <laughs> the different colored explosions or whatever. I think was the big, uh, the big, the big meme about Mass Effect Three. I only just played through that entire trilogy, um, not series trilogy. 
uh, like last year. I'd never played a Mass Effect before, and I and I played through all of them because like the Legendary Collection or whatever had come out and was on mm-hmm. sale on Steam or something. So finally got around to playing all three, and uh, I think. I didn't really have an interest in like a lot of Bioware games. And I don't know why, because Dragon Age on paper seems like it should have been right up my alley as like a high fantasy RPG with like character stories that are really complex. And again, a la like, you know, Baldur's Gate 3, there's so many different outcomes because you can make so many different decisions for like which companions you want to have or not have in your party and which of their stories you want to complete or not complete or go halfway through, or maybe the companion's dead. And that changes things mm-hmm. through the story. And then, you know, I see a game like uh, Baldur's Gate where it's, it's that, but to the nth degree, like yet again. And I look back at Dragon Age and I go, man, why didn't I love this when I was younger? Like I just never, I, I always saw Dragon Age as like one of those games where the people who loved it were like insanely into it, like hyper, hyper fans, but that there weren't like that many people that played them, but the people that played it loved it. Right. And uh, I don't know why I could never like get into them, but um, I think it was because of like, uh, coming to appreciate the way that your decisions like actually change stuff in like a meaningful way and not just like this tree is here or not when you like pass time you know like meaningfully changing interactions with other characters or like maybe this npc exists in the world or not because you did one thing with your companion and in their downtime they went off and did this other thing that ended up saving this town and now that town is still there and right. If you hadn't helped your companion, then they wouldn't help that town. And that town would have been destroyed. So it's like steps on steps on steps, right? So, um, just coming to be able to appreciate that kind of thing, and then also because of that appreciation, being able to appreciate other genres. Like I, I have said many times on the podcast that I've never really been a big sci-fi guy, and I thought, oh, I'll never play Mass Effect because it's sci-fi and it's not really like a game series that I have any intention of of uh you know spending the time to get into it but uh i did and i totally loved it all three games so i haven't played on andromeda i might at some point but uh i i honestly from people that have played it that like people that i know that have played mass effect andromeda that like mass effect say they liked it and that there were problems but it was blown out of proportion and everyone that i know that that in that category has said that. So I think take you'll... that as the gospel, that is the truth objectively. And I mean, uh, the, the truth as objectively as I can with my small sample size of mass effect fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be done uh, with mass or mass effect. I'll probably be done with uh Baldur's gate uh, for stream. Anyway, once this uh, dark urge playthrough is done, which uh, I was hoping to finish off this week, but it didn't end up being that way. Uh, it just would have been a nice ending point because I'm taking a week off after the wedding and uh, we'll pick it back up on the other side of that at some point, hopefully. But uh, I'll still, I still have the itch to keep playing the game. Um, so, but uh, the next playthrough is probably going to be mods because there's already like a ton of mods out for the game. So I'm probably going to do another playthrough just in my own time. The bunch of mods just for just to see what like goofy stuff I can get away with. And I don't know, maybe I'll record while I do it and uh, I could just make some some shorter clips or some goofy stuff because of the mods or whatever. But uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, it really is a game that keeps on giving like nothing I've played in a really long time. And uh, no complaints. No complaints for me. But what have you been doing? I know I keep talking about the same stuff over and over. I was actually going to ask you a question about Dredge. I think I may ask this before, but I forget. Okay. So, like, obviously, you go out there in a ship, and that's what you control, and you, you know, use your nets and your fishing rods and all that. Yep. And you go back to shore. Are you walking around? Like, what is that like? No. no, if you go to shore, there's different ports that you can go to, and then you just sort of have conversations with different people in different buildings at the shore. Like, you just select a building, and then it does okay. a little camera zoom in, and then you talk with a person there, and then it zooms back out to the port. You go to this person, zooms in, and you have a conversation. So it's like a store here or, or the dry dock here to, to like upgrade your ship or fix things or all that. And then it's just, it's bing, bang, boom, back out onto the water. And then there's like the panic mechanic that you have to manage as well by like getting enough sleep and not going out at night without bright lights and stuff like that. And But then there's also some fish that you can only catch at night. So you need to like Classic. brave the dark to go out and get them. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of side quests as well in that game that i've missed by just like not talking to absolutely everybody um but that being said i think the the quest log in that game is kind of like a um it's like a cork board with little notes stuck to it and i'm running out of space on the cork board so i think that if you have like every space taken up by a note on the cork board that's probably all of the side quests um but at this point, because I've kind of been everywhere and I've talked to most characters, I kind of can't remember who I have and have not talked to at this point. <laughs> so I'd have to go through the entire game again and talk to everybody, which I'm just not going to do. So it kind of sounds like the shore experience is like Sid Meier's Pirates. I don't know if you ever played that, but yeah, yeah I've seen videos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, for as for myself, um, I have sadly not returned to Starfield. I just haven't touched it. Um little mm-hmm. sad that's like every time i mm-hmm. see somebody talk about it on youtube or something i'm like i'd like to play that but i, I wish, just never go back i, I don't wish know it was more enjoyable yeah Fuck, i don't know what it is it's so it's so bizarre because i ended up looking up a video i'm i'm new game plus one i guess and um i like looked up a video as to like what happens and there's like a certain thing that gets powered up a certain amount of times and i'm like Fuck, like do i like do I just rush the story again, like like seven times or whatever it is to get to the maximum that this person's talking about? Because now it's a game of logistics of like me deciding. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that because if I do that, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Like, I'm ne- and I'm never going to yeah. come back. You're never you're not playing the game at that point to enjoy the game. You're playing it to like do a chore to then reach a point where you think, oh, then I'll want to play the game. Yeah. It's like, it's like the end of uh, the World of Warcraft episode of of south park where they do this huge like montage to like power level in the woods off of boars that only give you two experience each and then to get to max level so their characters are strong enough to like fight the other character who's killing everybody in the world and then they finally take them down and then they're all like sitting there in their basement they're like we did it yeah hooray great and there's just that moment of like silence and they just start kind of click clicking again and then stan's like so what do we do now and Cartman's like, what do you mean? We can finally play the game. Oh, man. And they're like, and they're just like, okay, I'm going to uh, pull these guys over to Sector 5. Uh, Stan, if you can <laughs> uh, cast heal on the party. <laughs> and it's like, no, I, what was it all for? You know, I, I, I thought that say. was playing the game. And now, now what? Oh, that was just dedicated like three weeks of our lives. 
to doing some other things so that we can then play the game. It's like, what? Well, where's the game there? I really don't. I really don't want to like end up like that in Starfield. Um, <laughs> um, definitely not because like I mean, my biggest. I mean, like I didn't play it, but like my my one big complaint that I talked to a friend about um, it, this week is that when you land on a planet, you got to just run through a procedurally generated, you know, whatever a desert or a forest or whatever. And it's just so goddamn boring. And then sometimes you get to that point of interest and it's like, okay, I like I picked up some armor. That wasn't that good. All right. Where's the next uh, point of interest. Oh, it's a uh, two kilometers away. Okay. Guess I'm running. Guess I'm running like, again. That, that concept sound like always seemed so unreal to me like i was like yeah i get that it's like scientifically accurate if you're you're going to go to these planets and the vast vast majority of them are going to have nothing on them like mm-hmm. i get that but at the same time it's like it's a video game like this what it, you need to be having fun doing it and it's not fun to land on a arbitrarily picked point on a planet to then have your little cut scene where you land and you come out and it's it's just like a sandstorm and kind of red dirt and hills and mountains everywhere, everywhere as far yeah. as you can see for kilometers and it's like oh yeah but there's like an outpost kind of vaguely in this direction so go find it and it's like so it's so it's a walking simulator but it's worse than death stranding oh yeah well, i mean like there when 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 and where starfield shines it really shines that's there's definitely been some times where i've been like running around a place and then someone comes up like there's been a someone was like murdered just in a random camp I was like, who yeah. the fuck is this? I walk out of their house and there's someone there. It's a bounty hunter. And he's like, yo, man, like I had to kill this guy. He was a pirate. You want to come help me? And then he's talking about the other point of interest. Like, that's a very organic way to do that. And like, those are cool. That's happened sure. to me once. And like, there's mm. great organic experiences in space, but I'm never in space because I don't want to load four times. So yeah. that's a huge thing about that game, too, is like how much work do they put into these like random encounters? There could be dozens of them, but people are just straight up not doing that part of the game because it takes so much time to go through so many load screens. It's like, it's, it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's like oblivion where when I was playing it, they just give you fast travel points everywhere right off the, right off the bat. So my child brain was like, I'm not going to run. That's boring. I'm just going to teleport to where I need to go. And I'm going to do this part of the quest. I'm going to teleport where I need to go. I'm going to do this part of the quest. And then when I go back and I play it, you know, again, as an adult years later, I'm like, I am going to make a point to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to like, you know, have a playthrough that takes advantage of more mechanics. They actually put in the game to play it the way that they maybe intended people to actually play it. And they didn't think that maybe people would, just take the path of least resistance by fast traveling everywhere. And then you actually start to see all these like random encounters on the roads that you would have never seen before because you always fast travel. And it's the same thing in Starfield. It is, it is unfortunate. What I, what I honestly think I need is, I may have said this last week even, but I think I just need like, like a long day or even like a full weekend and just like sit there and be like, I'm going to play Starfield now. And just like force myself to play like 16 hours of Starfield or something oh to like <laughs> to like try to get into it or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And 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 the sad thing is, is like Ryan, as far as I know, has not gone back. And I don't know any and um my other my other buddy Alex, he's beat the game and then he stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anyone else who's played it, and I don't know anyone else who's who's beat it other than what I just said. 
and that's it. It's like you were begging me before the podcast to play Starfield so that we could, com- we could yeah. complain about it together. Like let's like you get in on this space loading game, and then we'll loading. <laughs> then we'll have we'll have something to complain about. But what I've actually played this week, um, did a little bit of uh, the War Thunder again, doing a bit of the War Thunder. We've started to dabble in the plane battles which are very difficult because I just don't understand flying, which I think I said last week, because we only did like one match last week. Um, I really suck at flying. And that game is pretty crazy. Like you can turn on a diamond stuff when you're using a biplane, but then there's mixed uh, eras. So like the early sort of like propeller planes versus like a biplane. So like a Spitfire, which I think, I think it might be lower than a Spitfire, but that style of plane you're in the same battle. So like biplanes and then that level of plane and the, the turning is completely different. How you travel is completely different. Like you can't go up as fast. Like you'll stall. Uh, you can't turn on like certain at certain speeds and shoot and stuff like that. Like it's really specific. Um, and there's like crazy things in that game too. Like if you get shot in the engine, like your engine, like will just start to putter out and then you can just like float and you can keep fighting, but like you'll eventually like you're losing your lift and then like, you know, down on the ground you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can land lightly even like you can just land lightly and then uh, abandon your craft and stuff like that. So that game is like pretty fun for that. Um, did uh, funny enough, did some Fortnite and Apex in the same night, won a game in each. So that's good. Okay. <laughs> um, check mark off the list. Done. Okay. Check mark. Yep. Just big old, big old win in Apex, big old win in Fortnite. So that was cool. A uh, bunch of kills in that. Um Apex like raises my heart rate to like probably unsafe levels. Um, we like, we do like a heart rate check. And like the one time I was at like 127. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know what that means really. Uh, I just like check that's right. my smartwatch. That's what com- compared to feel like a run, maybe. Maybe I guess it was like 140 on a run. I can't remember. Cause I'm just sitting here, but I am like talking and moving around a little bit. So it's like I'm at 81 right now. Yeah. That's so. a little bit above normal resting heart rate. I think it's like normally 60 or 70. Something, yeah, it's like fucking no health. Yeah, I got. I mean, I'm using Samsung Health, so God knows how accurate this thing is either. Too, like, I don't even. Yeah, like I don't know anything, and I'm not a doctor, but I only uh, use the Pokey Walker uh, pedometer that shipped with uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver Pokemon games on the uh, Nintendo DS. (laughs) Apparently, that thing is super accurate, though. The pedometer on that apparently is better than like other medical grade, like that's wild equipment. Yeah, at the time, anyway. That's that's crazy. Um, <laughs> just this pokey thing, just like the hospitals start using it. Man, this is affordable. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think they I think they started to like use them in uh, other uh, other situations that they otherwise never thought they would have. What a crazy world we live in sometimes with stuff like that. <laughs> sometimes it's the right tool for the wrong job. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but uh, I think that's mostly been it uh been mostly just doing the odd multiplayer game uh and that that's been it no no single player at all like i said no No starfield um i am this is weird i am preparing myself to play far cry 2 no (laughs) because i hate that game um so i'm gonna try to get through it i feel like it's not gonna be as bad as you remember it being that's what i'm hoping i'm hoping that i just like had a really bad you know mix of like like basically the disaster that I had for the audience real brief is that um, in that game, you like do a mission and then usually your buddy will call you not always, but that they're, they're in trouble. And so I like did a mission. 
my buddy calls me they're in trouble. So I have to like run over to where they had landed their plane or helicopter or whatever it was to help them. And as I was driving there, I had a malaria attack, but I was driving on the edge of a cliff. And so I couldn't control my vehicle and I drove <laughs> off the cliff and lost like two hours or like an hour of progress because the game didn't save. Uh, it just saved right before the mission. And so I was like, okay. And that was it. Like, so that was my last experience with Far Cry 2. Um, and one of my most hated things is that you go through the outposts, they scream something, they get in their, they get in their cars, they chase after you, of which there's definitely catch up technology on because they drive at like Mach 37 to catch up to you. They shoot at you to your car starts smoking. So now you're driving slower. I always drive with a Jeep that has a gun on the back. So I hop in the, hop in the gun, use my gun to kill them, hop out, fix my car, get back in the driver's seat, drive another 10 feet. And they get chased down again. So I'm hoping that I understand mechanics better and maybe I'll just have a better experience. Maybe <laughs> we'll see maybe. what happens because I keep seeing videos on it. So to see within the limitations of Far Cry 2 in 2023. And then you can make a video essay on it. Is Far Cry 2 actually good in 2023? And you can put it on YouTube and yep. Eight hour retrospective on Far Cry 2. <laughs> and people will eat it up. Because Far Cry 2 is is like acclaimed for the the damage mechanics on cars on guns on uh trees like the branches the fire mechanics the mortars the whole mm-hmm. pack mm-hmm. whole pack so we'll see we'll see what's up um but i'm probably gonna hate it again that. i'm probably gonna hate it again and then it'll be a five minute essay just or like a short <laughs> just like a little youtube short me just going good christ and then just tr- just uninstalling it <laughs> yeah It'll, just be a, it'll be a montage of all the clips like that where you have the malaria attack and you go off the cliff and guy calls you and then you're in the middle of a fight and you can't fight back because he's calling you and and it'll just be you going like, all right. And then you just click on install the game and that's it. Moments <laughs> like that when people try to call you in the middle of a fight. I don't know if you've ever watched. It's an old movie. State of the Union. No, not State of the Union. Uh, Enemy of the State. Nope. With uh, Will Smith and I forget some other famous actor. I forget his name now. Right. Old movie. I think it's like 90s, maybe early 2000s. But there's like a, a famous scene where it's like it, it's like one of those movies where it's like the government's watching us. The NSA is watching us. Right. But and then, ah. it, actually, then it actually came true uh, to an extent. Um, but like basically like Will Smith makes a he's on the run, you know, trying to hide from the digital whatevers. And he like makes a phone call and the guy gets pissed that he made a phone call. He's like, you're making, you know, you're taking risks. He's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, you know, I was cautious. And then they have this like huge like gunfight. Or He's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why is this happening to us? It's like, you made a phone call. And I always, that's that that line. Every time I'm like in the middle of a gunfight, it's like, fuck, I want a phone call here. Like ridiculous, ridiculous association in my brain. But it's the first reference. thing. What the hell? Man, brains are weird. That's the, that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Enemy of the state, 90s, potentially early 2000s movie. You made oh a phone God. call. But there you go. It's in. It's locked and loaded forever. Locked and loaded forever. And uh, I think that's it. Unless you have anything else to add, Tim. That's the that's the episode. Unlike the podcast, which is not forever, because all good things must come to an end. <laughs> and I wouldn't know anything about that. But uh, okay. Where can they find you, Tim? You can't. I'm going off the grid. I'm a mountain man. <laughs> 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 and. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, for the, for the next little week, I'll uh, I'll be hard to find. I'm taking a week off. I'll be back the following week, so uh, I may or may not be on the podcast next week. We'll see how that goes because we're doing stuff. So normally, 
twitch.tv slash the sidetrack doing a dark urge playthrough which will be back in a little over a week uh, as per the this episode going up um i mean you can always go if you want to go back and catch up that'll be a good week to do it there's been lots of streams lots of vods to watch if you want to just do a bit of a catch up on the old playthrough um we offer a week so you'll have you know five days worth of uh no streams to watch some old streams if that's your bag i used to do that for uh speedrunners that i used to watch go back and watch their vod streams when i was at work and couldn't watch them so uh if you're one of the vod enjoyers out there uh you're an absolute chad and i thank you for it but uh normally also co-op games wednesday nights twitch.tv slash day one patch media heck yeah around eight nine eight or nine usually closer to nine eastern yeah. eastern's time i I just say eastern toronto time because of the the daylight savings so eastern toronto time sure check that out check us out on there and that's it that's episode 460 in the bag thanks for listening friends stay gaming that's not a good line i'm not gonna say that again peace <laughs>